Begin with Jesus. That's what we're going to look at. So we're in Proverbs chapter 8, and I'll begin in verse number 33. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is a man that heareth me, now watch this phrase here, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. We're going to use this because of the nature of the study that we're in. Um, It's not like a book of the Bible, which we've done before. It's not necessarily like a specific doctrine, which we've done before. Uh, But because of the nature of a topical Bible study, we'll bounce around some in the Bible at different places, trying to get an understanding, a biblical understanding about certain parts of this topic. And we began this series last Wednesday night with this thought. What is a Christian home? Now, that's a pretty easy question, I guess, uh, but you'd probably get a lot of different answers that may not be correct. So we said, what is a Christian home? And we said, in short, a Christian home is a home where what kind of people live there? Christians, thank you. Okay, for the rest of you who were not there, the answer is Christians. So let's try it again. Now you know the answer. Ready? A Christian home is where what kind of people live there? Christians, okay? So it's not a believer's home. It's a Christian home. It's not just having born-again believers, even though you can't have Christians without them being saved. And we're not going to rehash the whole Bible study and explain why that is. Uh, so we un- so the being born again is paramount to the idea of being a Christian, to being a Christian, to live like Christ. But, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> wow, that was loud. And uh, so being a Being born again is paramount if you're going to be a Christian. But we're talking about not just having a salvation experience, but actually trying to live like Jesus, to honor Jesus in all that we're doing. So in short, a Christian home is a home where Christians, not just believers, uh, are living there. So we could say it this way, a home, a Christian home, is a home where people are seeking to live like and live for Jesus. That's what a Christian home is. So we're trying to identify what we're talking about. Uh, because it, every, all the other studies are going to go back to this intent. So if the intent is not to live like Jesus, then the study is not really going to help you, because we're not going to tell you how to be rich and healthy. And rich and healthy. Rich and healthy, sorry. We're not going to tell you how to be rich and healthy. We're going to tell you how to live like Jesus in your home and how to honor the Lord in those things. So that's our desire, and that's the direction we're going. So if we're talking about now um, having a Christian home, Except the Lord builds a house. Now, that's kind of the idea of a structure, but I think the, the, what's implying is, is the home itself. And so, except the Lord builds this home, uh, the Bible says they labor in vain that, that build it. So we're talking about a Christian home then. And so, if we're going to have a Christian home, the question then, the next question is, so the first question, what is a Christian home? Second question, number two, would be this. How would one start the process? If I'm going to have a Christian home... First of all, I've got to understand, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think through this analytically. So first question is, well, what is a Christian home? Because I've got to know what it is if I'm going to have one. Okay, if that's what a Christian home is, a home where people are trying to live like and live for Jesus, the second question is, how do I start the process? Where do I begin? And so the answer is you begin with Jesus. That's the answer. So what does that mean to begin with Jesus? Well, the best place to start is always at the beginning, 
and everything that we do should begin with Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you this statement. We'll come back to it at the very end, but I want you to think about this statement. The earlier you begin with Jesus, the better the end will be. Now, you can start with Jesus at at any moment in your life, but the earlier, the better. You know, sometimes we talk about uh, trying to raise children for the Lord, and we say very truly, very biblically, that you can't guarantee a child's outcome. You can't program them that way. It'd be nice if you could, but you can't. They're, they're agents of free will. You weren't programmed. You had a choice, and you still have a choice. You came here tonight by your choice, and, and what you do tomorrow for the Lord will be by your choice. And we understand there's blessings and consequences, but still, God has given us free will, and he gave your children free will, and to, at a certain point in time, they're going to exercise that free will. And so, if, if, so we could either say, well, then why even try if it's if they can make a choice, well, we're trying to give them some good wisdom so they make the best choice, and we're trying to guide them and direct them and lay a foundation so that the earlier they choose, the better it would be. I'd, I'd much rather choose to serve Jesus at 20 than at 30, but I'd much even rather choose to serve him at 10 than at 20 because the earlier you, ch- you choose, the better it is because typically the earlier you choose, you miss some of the scars and things you wish you wouldn't have to think about that occurred in your past. And so the earlier you start, the better it is. Now, that may sound, this idea, you know, start at the beginning, start with Jesus, the earlier you start, the better it is. That may sound trite or cliche, but I tell you, it's very biblical and true. So this idea about beginning with Jesus. So I'm going to give you several applications here, and you'll see in your notes that we have, I think, uh, three big ones and then a couple of sub-points that I, that I gave you. So we're going to give you several applications here about beginning with Jesus, but let me give you one disclaimer as we get into it. You have to understand, and this is part of why we use this verse, we're going to use it for one of the points, but also, once you go back to our text, it says, hear instruction and be wise. A lot of times when we go into a Bible study, we don't always seek wisdom about how to apply it to our lives. However your Christian home is structured, however your family is structured, even if you're doing it and trying to do it biblical way, and if you have two families who are both trying to do it biblical way, there is going to be some slight difference between those homes. And your home, in fact, will be different at different times. When my kids were all young, now, as you know, they're all grown and, and gone, but when my kids were little, we could go out to eat rather cheaply, and, we, and because of that, we probably went out and eat more when they're younger than when they're older. Because when they were younger, we would go to, because they're all pretty close in age. And so when they were younger, we could go to Denny's and order a Grand Slam. And one Grand Slam, we could feed three kids. Now, they weren't, you know, it wasn't the only meal for the day, fortunately. But we could, I mean, they're little. So we'd order Grand Slam. It get to a point when they're teenagers, and it's, instead of one Grand Slam feeding three, you almost have to have three Grand Slams to feed the one. And, uh, you know, <laughs> And then they're trying to eat pl- stuff off your plate. And so things are different at different times. There's different parts of that. Uh, and so not every home's identical. Okay, you have your standard of living. You have the job you work, the schedule that, that mandates. You have uh, the neighborhood you live in. So there's going to be certain differences. Even between Christian homes or trying to live for the Lord, there's going to be differences. And within your home, there's going to be some differences at different times. So I'm saying that because... However, all through this study and 
respect any study we're in. But all through this specific study, as we're talking about a Christian home and marriage or children or whatever we're talking about in, the, in, in this topic, part of this topic, we always need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom of how to do this in my life. Because it may not be identical how someone else does it. Um, close, maybe similar, but probably not identical. So we need godly wisdom in understanding the application and then putting those applications in practice. All right, let's get now to the, to the meat of the, of the Bible study. What does it mean to begin with Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you three thoughts. There's a lot more than three we could cover. I'm going to give you three big thoughts. The idea of a Christian home beginning with Jesus. Three parts of it, I think, that are important. The first, number one, is this. And you'll see, notice you're in your worksheet there, it says begin. So all three begin with something. So number one is this, begin each day with Jesus. Now, if we go back again to our text, chapter 8, verse 34, Blessed is a man that heareth me, now watch this, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Now, there's a whole bunch of other verses we could look at about this idea about daily seeking the Lord, beginning each day with the Lord. Now, if I call time out in the field for a moment, and if I ask you, what do you think I'm going to say next? Typically, you're going to say, Okay, Pastor White, I already know what you're going to tell me. I already got it down. I'm ready ready to fill in the blanks. I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray every day. Uh, I need to seek his will every day. Well, all that is true, and I'm not in any way taking anything away from that. But there's a little bit more to, to it than that. That is true, but sometimes, even when we do that, we almost like check it off, and now I'm done with it, and then we move on and live the way we want. And that is never the intention it should be. Uh, so begin each day with Jesus. So what are we talking about? Well, we are talking about, we are including, we're understanding, we're assuming the necessity of a daily time of Bible reading, a daily time of prayer. That is true. I, I, I'm including that. I'm not in any way detracting from that. And those, both of those in, are necessary. That's not the direction I'm going. And, um, and honestly... Not everyone is going to start the day. Now, watch what I'm going to say, because I, I say these just trying to figure out what you're thinking when I'm saying it. Ready? So I'm, I'm trying to think what you're going to think when I say what I'm about to say. It, it will not actually work for everyone to begin their day with Bible and prayer. I'm trying to think what you're thinking. He's a heretic. Burn him at the stake. No, okay. So I better, I better explain what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't read your Bible every day. I'm not saying don't pray every day. What I'm saying is, there is, you don't have to say, unless you pray the very first thing in the day or read your Bible the first thing in the day, you're not beginning with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Because you, you may find it may be better for you to pray and read your Bible later in the day because of your schedule. It depends what time you have to get up. It depends what time. If you're working uh, certain shifts, Certain schedules, it doesn't work. Sometimes it works better to wait until you're awake, alert. Watch this. There are times in my life, if I tried to pray and read my Bible the first thing in the morning, I'd get nothing out of it. Well, this is what I'd get out of it. Okay. Now, if I do it late at night, here's what I get out of it. And so what I got to do is I got to find a time in the day when I can actually give it my attention I'm alert, I'm mental, I'm you know, mentally involved in this, and I'm not just trying to, you know, trying to get through a, a chapter and mark it off so I can move through uh, to the next thing I'm trying to do. I'm, okay, so I've got to back up. 
is Pastor White telling you not to read your Bible in the morning? That is not what he's saying. What I'm saying is you need to read your Bible and pray, but it's not, well, I'm not, but the point I'm making here, there are some things that should be done early in the morning, but it may not always be prayer and Bible reading. Somewhere in the day it should come in. Okay, but I can't tell you that every person has to do it the first time as soon as they wake up because I don't know your schedule. I don't know all that's going on in your life, but it should be done sometime during that day. So where am I going? So I've told you everything what I'm not telling you, so what am I telling you? Well, each day should begin with the believer's mind focused on Jesus and desirous to please him. When your eyes open up and you're getting out of that bed, the first thought in your mind should be something about the Lord, about the day in front of me, about how I'm going to live for the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're working a secular job or whatever you're doing, how am I going to use this day for the Lord? Immediately, I should be thinking along that line. There should be some things stirring up in me uh, along that direction. It's a good way to go to sleep at night as well, thinking along, along that line. So each day should begin with the believer's mind focused on Jesus. I'm trying to begin my day with Jesus. I'm trying to watch daily. I'm trying to put him first, first thing in, in the day. Now, why is that important? Well, that type of beginning sets the tone and the direction and the priorities for the day. So I'm beginning my day with Jesus. I'm trying to have a Christian home. I'm going to have, to have a Christian home. I'm beginning with Jesus. How am I going to begin with Jesus? As soon as I wake up, I'm beginning with Jesus. Now, again, even under this, there, there are probably a bunch of different ways we're going to go, but I'm going to give you two big things I think that our, our day should begin with. First is this, begin the day with gratitude. That's a good way to start the day. Begin the day with gratitude. Pastor Pirate used to, uh, used to, probably still does on one of his, uh, I forget which tape it is, what, sorry, what CD it is, um, the Gratitude Attitude. And that was a good song. And, that, and he's teaching the kids, have a gratitude attitude. But that's a good so song for all of us. This attitude of having a gratitude about the Lord. Now I want you to notice this. I'm going to give you a statement. It may seem odd, Now I'll show you a verse. Gratitude is an act of the will in response to God. You say, well, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Number one, yes you do. And number two, you're commanded to be grateful. So therefore, if I'm commanded to be grateful, I should be showing gratitude. That means I need to engage my mind and my life in what things I should be grateful for. Okay, go back with me to Psalms 107. Psalms 107. Look at verse 1. I was kind of hoping Caleb would be here because this is what he spoke about on Sunday afternoon. Psalms 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now look at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What are we saying? Well, I think he's tying in what he just said. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I should tell the Lord he's good. I should tell the Lord, uh, uh, thank the Lord, be grateful for his mercy praising him. So I think our day ought to begin with this act of our will about being grateful for what the Lord has done. So gratitude, now watch, this, watch these next two uh, statements. One I'm going to give you, and then, uh, then the next one, it's not written down, but I'm going to give you another one to think about as well. 
Watch this statement. Gratitude depends on awareness and obedience, not circumstances or events. Your gratitude is not based on the circumstances of your life. It's based on your awareness of who God is and what He's done for you and your obedience in showing that gratitude that He tells us to. Oh, give thanks. That's a command. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And so gratitude now becomes an act of the will. Now, I want you to think about this statement I'm going to say next. Because here is what we say. Well, you know, if I had more to be grateful for, I'd be more grateful. Can I tell you? No, you wouldn't. Because if you're not grateful in the little things, you'll never be grateful in the big things. Because it's an act of the will. It's a matter of obedience. It has nothing to do with your life. has nothing to do with what's going on in your life. has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. If you cannot be grateful for $10, you would not be any more grateful for $10 million. And what in our mind is this. The more money I have, the less problems I have. But yet the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The more you have, the more problems it brings in your life. Rich people are not always, and seldom, if ever, happy people. So gratitude is an act of the will. So I'm going to begin my day with gratitude. Whether you're talking about our salvation, our lives, our families, what the Lord has provided, we ought to be grateful for those things. We ought to be grateful when you wake up that you had a warm bed to sleep in. Because there's a lot of people in this world who didn't have it. And most of us wake up, and the big question isn't, are we going to eat breakfast, but what are we going to eat for breakfast? The assumption is, I'm going to go downstairs and eat. I just don't know what it is yet. And there's a lot of people who don't, that, that, that is an assumption they don't have because they, there's nothing downstairs uh, for them to eat. As you can tell, my bedroom's upstairs. And so they're not going to go downstairs and eat because there's nothing down there. So we have a lot, really, to be thankful for if we engage our thinking, engage our mind, and show gratitude about the Lord. Physical possessions, friends, church, um, you know, probably the saddest thing, and you'll, 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 if you do, okay, I do funerals, and so I've heard people say this a lot. One of the saddest things is people do not realize what they had. Guess, guess, guess when they realized what they had? When they lost it. And they'll say, boy, I wish I knew X. Well, you did know X. You just did not exert yourself to show the gratitude when you had it, and now there's regrets because you didn't show the gratitude then. So we ought to begin our day with gratitude. This is how I begin with Jesus. I begin my day thanking him, praising him, being grateful for what he's done in my life. I'm already beginning to get my mind uh, engaged, my focus. It's beginning to set the tone of my day. uh, Because, again, we're talking about having a Christian home, so we're trying to start already going that way. So we begin the day with gratitude. There's a second thing we begin with, and that is with yielding. Now, this is not a conclusive list, but I think those are the two things that should at least be on that list and how we start our day. Other things, maybe in the morning, maybe later, but I think these are two good things as we start the day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And number two, Lord, help me to live today for you. Help me to honor you today. This should be our heart. This should be the heart of every believer who's trying to live for the Lord. Help me today to live for you. Now, I want you to get this what I'm going to say next. If God has given you a day of life, then he has given you a life to live in that day. Understand this. If you woke up this morning breathing, then God has a purpose for that day. Because if he didn't have a purpose for that day, you would not wake up breathing. 
He would have just called you on heaven. The reason you're alive at this moment, at this time, is God has a purpose and a will for your life. So you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, okay, Lord, I'm awake, I'm alive, help me to live for you today because that's why I'm here. If, I didn't, if there wasn't a will of God for me today, then I'd be in heaven uh, face to face with you, but I'm here on earth, so help me to live for you here while, I'm, uh, while I have this day. When, now watch. When God's purpose for you is fulfilled, then your life will be over. I don't mean over like you have nothing to live for. I mean over like you're, you're dead. Over. Yeah, Pastor White, that sounds good. Okay, let's see. Let's look at some verses. Look with me to John chapter 17. John 17. Look at verse 4. Look what the Lord says. This is Jesus himself speaking. This is his high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying to the Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. Now watch this next statement. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He is praying this prayer. This is John 17. He's praying it basically on the eve of being arrested and going to the cross. I've finished in other words, my day is going to be over because I finished why I'm here. Which brings us to John 19 and verse 30. What does he say when he, right before he dies? When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is, what's the next word? Finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. When God's purpose for you is finished, then your life will be over. We see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 4, look at verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So in other words, I have finished, and this is his last uh, book that the Lord used. It's almost as he hears the steps of the executioner coming down, uh, the, the footprints coming down the steps towards him. He knows his life is at the end. So I've finished. I've done. My, my life is at the end here. And so there's a verse in the Bible. I think it's uh, in Kings. might be in Chronicles. And where the, I think it was the enemy army is the Syrians or something like that. And the Bible says they woke up. They woke up dead, which is always kind of a bad way to wake up, I guess. So they woke up as dead men or they woke up dead men or something like that. In other words, they, they had died. Now, if we, if we wake up alive... I guarantee you God has a purpose and a will. I guarantee you. If you're a born-again believer and you're living today, God has a purpose and a will. And so we, are, are, we wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm alive. Lord, I give you this day. I'm going to live for you today. I may not know all that I'm supposed to do today. I may not understand all the purpose of today. But the fact that I'm alive means God has a purpose for me today. So I'm going to begin my day with Jesus by being grateful and by yielding my life. That's how I begin my day with Jesus. Now, let me give you a second thought. And that brings us to number two. Begin each week with Jesus. Oh, I, I missed a point for you. I'm sorry. I gave you, I, I got so busy saying it, I said it and did not push the button. 
Every day God gives you, he has a purpose and a reason for that day. I apologize. So here's number two. Begin each week with Jesus. Now you're already trying to figure out number three, aren't you? Is it month? Is it year? Decade? Century? Millennia? What is it? You have to wait and see. Number two, begin each week with Jesus. Now I'm going to go. I don't know what. Who was I talking to? Someone. Oh, I was talking to Larry. Me and Larry were talking. Um, he was over my house. We were looking at a, uh, well, never mind. I won't tell you. We were looking at a certain object that we probably shouldn't say in public. It was a good thing. It's a nice thing. It goes boom, boom. It's fun to use, but we don't want to talk about it in public. So anyway, so we're over there at my house looking at this boom, boom stick, and uh, we're talking about some things, and uh, we, we're talking about preaching somewhere along the way, and I said, you know, my, my style, my preaching style really originated from being in the bus ministry, being in junior church, dealing with, uh, like, in chapel and in Christian school, so I, I really, I kind of preach like I'm teaching, like I'm talking to a bunch of kids, which I think usually works pretty well, and uh, I try not to be over your head. And uh, so anyways, um, as I think about that, um, I'm going <laughs> to forget now what I was going to tell you. Oh, man. It's... Talking to Larry. Okay. Go with me to the book of Acts. There's a reason. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I, now, it's coming back to me. I like to, and this is just me, I like to, to misdirect you at times. I like you to think I'm going this way and then shift over here just to keep you on your toes. So there's a little misdirect in how I'm going. I did it in number one. I'm going to do it again in number two. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. So, and to be even a little bit more clever, I'm going to go the right way, then go another way, and then go back the right way to try to keep you guessing which way I'm really trying to go on this point. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. If I get confused, I'll stop and see if you can help me. Acts 20, look at with me in verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue his speech until midnight. Now that is a long service, is it not? Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 10. So we're talking about beginning each week with Jesus. Revelation 1, verse 10. I was in, this is John the Apostle speaking, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And then he goes in, to this revelation. So let me explain something to you. I'm going to use multiple verses. I'm going, to, I'm going to explain something in order to help us understand something else. But I think we don't understand the importance of the thing I want to explain unless I explain this other thing, which shows why this, the second thing is important. So let me take a moment. I'm going to explain the first thing to you. This is the this misdirect. Now, I think we understand this. The Bible talks about it. Even our calendars confirm this. I, think, I don't think this is a, a, a new thing, but it, I don't think we think this way. Sunday is which day of the week? The first day of the week. But that's not how we think. In our thinking, Sunday is the end of the weekend. We finished out the week, and Monday a new week starts. That is not true. 
Monday is the second day of the week. You've already started a week come Monday. So Sunday is the first day of the week. When they met together, they're in Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week they were meeting on Sunday. It's also called the Lord's Day. That's what we see in Revelation 1. He was in the Spirit in the Lord's Day. So why is it the Lord's Day? Well, I'll explain the difference in a moment about the Lord's Day versus the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day because what happened on Sunday? Resurrection. He was resurrected on the first day of the week. So it's called the Lord's Day. That's the day he resurrected. That's the day we as his people meet together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. So Sunday is that first day of the week. It's also called the Lord's Day. Saturday is the which day of the week? Seventh, right? And so it's also called, not the seventh, it's also called the last, but it's called the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. We do not worship the Lord as a church coming together on the Sabbath. We do it on the Lord's Day, Sunday. People say, well, you know, Saturday used to be the Sabbath, but now Sunday's the Sabbath. That is not true. Saturday was the Sabbath and is the Sabbath as far as the seven days of the week. It's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath day. So believers do not worship on the Sabbath day, but we worship on the Lord's day. Now, there's a problem, seemingly, because the Bible tells us that we have to keep the Sabbath. So if the Sunday's not the Sabbath, then why aren't we meeting on Saturday? Because that's the Sabbath. Aren't we violating the Sabbath? Because we think we're keeping the Sabbath, because now Sunday's the Sabbath, but Sunday's not the Sabbath. Because Sunday's the first day, not the seventh day, and the Sabbath really means the seventh. So it's the seventh day, the Sabbath, that's Saturday, but yet we meet on Sunday. Now there is those, there is a group that believes that churches ought to meet on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Saturday. Anyone know who that group is? Seventh-day Adventists. And they condemn us. They criticize us. They attack us. They write books against us. They preach against us because we're meeting on Sunday. We're dishonoring the Sabbath. Can I tell you? I keep the Sabbath every day. And if you're born again, you do too. See, the, the keeping of the Sabbath is no longer a day of the week. It is our position in Christ. Let me explain what I mean, because if we understand this, it kind of makes meeting on Sunday more important. Hebrews chapter 10, if you will. Now, I know it's seemingly I'm off topic, but I'm still in my notes, and I'm trying to help us understand why do we begin each week with Jesus? How do we do this? Well, because we understand we're not keeping a Sabbath. We don't come to church traditionally because we're keeping the Sabbath. There's a bigger and better reason for that. Hebrews chapter 10, look with me in verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereof thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once per should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared us me. 
In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book has written me to do thy will, O God. He's talking about the Messiah there. Let's continue on. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offering sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Now let me just stop because it's wordy and confusing, but let me explain the argument he's making. He's saying that what was given in the Old Testament was a picture of something better to come. Everything in the Old Testament was picturing something, and the something was the coming of the Messiah. That's the perfect. That is the completion. Uh, it, uh, the Old Testament was a shadow. It was, a, uh, it was uh, portraying or foreshadowing that which would come. Now let's go back to our verse. Verse 10. Well, look at verse, uh, verse 10, yeah. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, it's a done deal now. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies and be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So Hebrews 10 tells us that Jesus came and completed all these things, all the things that were foreshadowed, all the things that was an image. Now it's a completion because of Christ. Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Look with me in verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, left us of entering into his rest, any, one of, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. So the Sabbath was a picture of this rest. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some, some must enter therein, and, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, I know there's a lot being said, and there's, there's, he's, he's using, he's teaching kind of a multitude of things, but we're trying to just isolate this, this idea of the Sabbath within this. For if Jesus had given them rest. Now, Jesus there is talking about Joshua in the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about. So we, I'm going to just say Joshua, so I don't confuse you. For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day, another rest? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, now, now we're talking about salvation, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. So what he's saying is that the Old Testament picture of, Jesus, of, of God resting on the Sabbath was a picture of us resting from our works, trying to save ourselves. Now we're resting in Christ. So in this case, Christ is our Sabbath, our Sabbath rest. So the argument here, let me just show you another verse, Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 
Look with me in verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days. These are the, the Old Testament ritual holidays. He's saying don't, that's not what, how we're looking at it. Now notice look at verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. So the Lord is saying that we're not looking at the same thing the way they did. We're, it's all fulfilled in Christ. One more place. Matthew chapter 5. Look at me in verse 17. And then we'll try to tie it together and explain why, how this works back to this point. Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to, what's the next word? Fulfill, complete. In other words, I'm that completion of everything that was foreshadowed about. I come to fulfill the law. So, if we put this all together, here's what we understand. That our Sabbath rest is found in Christ, not in a specific day of the week. We don't come to church on a Sabbath in order to worship the Lord in that way. We're not trying to, to keep the law of the Ten Commandments by coming to church. That's not why we do it. Yet, the whole idea is the Lord changed it from a seventh day to a first day because now we're beginning a week with the Lord himself. We're saying this is how we're going to start our week. We're going to start meeting together with fellow believers, uh, hearing the word of God preached, singing songs, fellowshipping, encouraging each other. This is how we're beginning our week. So let's look at it that way. Sunday is not about resting at the end of a week but about beginning a new week with the Lord. Now, I, I, my guess is we don't think of it that way. We think, okay, I'm, I'm, Sunday is my last day of the week. It's my, you know, it's my last day to rest. No, it's your first day of the week. Saturday was your day of rest. Sunday is a day to be in church, worshiping the Lord together as a family. That's how the Lord designed it. The weekend, I know in our mind the weekend ends on Sunday. But in the Lord's, and actually on the calendar, you might notice Sunday is the first day down there. Sunday is that first day of the week that we're now starting a new week. We're starting with the Lord. That's how we begin with Jesus, by beginning our week with Him. So our week doesn't begin with work, Monday, but with worship on a Sunday. This is how we begin each week with Jesus. Now, all that to give you this statement, which is very basic, but I want you to understand why we make this point. It isn't just tradition, and, and we just think, well, that's just the way we always do it. But there's a reason we do certain things. I know, well, it's always been done that way. You know, there may be a reason we've always done it that way. There may be a biblical reason why we do these things. So here is the statement. Church is foundational and fundamental to a Christian home. It's how a home begins its week. Let's get together as a family. Let's go to church, meet with other believers, worship the Lord, uh, engage in, in, in the things of God so that we can get through this week uh, with the Lord. 
That's how we begin each week as a, as a family and within our Christian home. So let me give you now this statement. A Christian home then must prioritize church attendance over any other activities. Why? Because it's foundational and fundamental. We're not just doing a we're not just showing up on the Sabbath because, you know, well, that's what it says in the Old Testament. No. Our Sabbath is in Christ. I'm showing up on a Sunday because I'm trying to begin my week the right way. Engaging the Lord, worshiping the Lord, uh, setting the pace of how I'm going to go through the rest of the week. Now, if you think about if you thought about that way, instead of saying, okay, Monday, I've got to start a new week, if we should say, Sunday, I'm going to start this week right with the Lord. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be singing songs. I'm going to be praising the Lord. And so when Monday comes, that second day of the week, I'm ready for it because I've already began with Jesus on Sunday. So we begin each day with Jesus, and now we begin each week with Jesus. Now I'm going to give you the third. Go with me to Psalms. Psalms 101. Look at me in verse 1. Psalms 101, verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? And then he makes this statement, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now we could look at uh, Joshua 24. He says, you know, it's for me and my house will serve the Lord. That's a very common verse. But we're going to use this as our, as our text on this point, where he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So, I'm going to give you the third thought. Number three is this. We need to begin each family with Jesus. So, what is a, what is a family? Because people, and, and, and this is probably true that we get knocked for this. It's just, it's just the way it is, I guess. You know, say, you know, churches only talk about families. Families, families, families. What about the single person? What about the person maybe who's widowed? You know, you know, they're, they're not in a family. But I actually say, yeah, they are. They are in a family. Because a family doesn't mean necessarily a husband, wife, and kids. What is a family? Well, a family is that group of people who live within your house, sorry, home, of which you have responsibility. If you rent out your basement, you probably don't have responsibility for those people. You hope they're responsible, but you don't necessarily have responsibility for them. You, some people rent out bedrooms. Um, I know people who do that. They'll rent out a bedroom. But you don't really have responsibility. They may live in your house, same domicile, but you know, it's not part of your home. If you are a single person and there's only one of you in your housing unit, that's your family. If you're married and you have 10 kids, that's your family. But whatever family size you have, it needs to begin with Jesus. So let me just say quickly through this. A single person has a family of one. married person has a higher number, but they're still a family. That's your family. In regards of how many are in your family, a commitment to Christ should be the focus. If you are, John's probably out in the, in the hallway. 
John Nigel lives over in Lorraine, and he lives in a, um, it's not an apartment, it's a condo. That's it, it's a condo, and um, he lives by himself. But he is still in that home, he, that home should say, he should say, this is my home, and this home, we're going to begin with Jesus. Jesus is what's going to be going on in this home. Um, the Steins have three kids. They live right over in Avon Lake. Um, we've been by there, we're, we're sowing out there, we'd pick them up at their house, and uh, a couple of them would be hiding up in the trees, that was always kind of, where's, where's, oh, they're, they're up there. And so, um, but that's their, that's their home. They have, they have five. That's their family. It doesn't matter how many is living in your home. The thing is, this is my home. The ones in this home, is, this is family. Now, I, I, you have extended family. I'm not obviously taking anything from that. But I'm talking about within your living arrangement, that right there. Okay? Within that family in your home, you ought to say, we're going to live or I'm going to live for Jesus. So a single person... Living alone, that family should begin with a commitment to Christ. If it's a newly married couple, let's say we happen to have a newly married couple. I'm just, maybe we might have. You never know. A newly married couple should begin with a commitment to Christ. A family with young children should begin with a commitment to Christ. If it's a, maybe a recently saved family, maybe they, they already have kids, and maybe kids are half grown, but now they just got saved. Well, you need to begin with Jesus in that home now. You can't do anything about the past. Start it now. Maybe it's a recently, we'll say, repentant family. Maybe they were saved for a while, got away from the Lord. Now they're trying to get things back right. Well, begin with Jesus now. Begin each family with Jesus, saying, this is our family. This is our home. We're going to live for the Lord here. We're not going to worry about what the world is doing. We're not trying to, make, uh, we're not trying to keep up with everything. Else. We're, in our home, we're going to begin with Jesus. That's how we begin a Christian home with Jesus. We begin each day, we begin our week, and then we begin our family that way. This is how we're going to start this family. Wherever we're at on the time scale, a timeline, at this moment, this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with Jesus. Now, the earlier you begin, the better the outcome will be. I said it first in the uh, introduction, I say it in the conclusion. The longer you wait, the worse typically the outcome is going to be. Now, I say that because here's the backup statement. I want you to get this. Don't waste time today regretting yesterday. Rather, determine to make tomorrow better. <clears throat> I'm thinking of a person. I don't know how old he is. We'll just say he's 30. And he came to me and he said, you know, he's, again, we'll just say he's 30. He said, um, I'm 30 years old. He said, I wish I'd gotten saved and started living for Jesus when I was 20. Man, I made so many mistakes. Man, I wish I could go back to when I was 20. I, made, I would do things different. Boy, I regret these last 10 years not living for Jesus. Let me tell you the problem with that whole story is he's not living for Jesus now. Don't waste time regretting the 10 years you didn't. Start now living for Jesus. And there's sometimes in a Christian home... <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes in a Christian home, we spend waste too much time regretting what we haven't done. Okay, you, you, I, I, probably every parent is this way. You wish you go in the time machine, boop, 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 go back to some point in time and say, okay, now I know what to do back then. Well, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but we can't spend our life 
regretting the past and saying, boy, I wish I'd done that different, or, or I mean, now, I, now I have a better handle on that situation, we can say is, at this moment in time, we're going to begin with Jesus. We're going to do what's right now. This is what we're going to do. So we begin, each family of Jesus. At this moment, at this time, we make that decision. We're going to begin with Jesus. We're not going to sit there and just fret about the past. So we need to decide today that you're committed to having a Christian home and then begin tomorrow with Jesus. Now, if your Christian home is one person, it might be easier to do that. If it involves more than one person, it may be more difficult, but nevertheless, that's the right decision to make. We're going to begin with Jesus. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to start. Maybe I didn't do things right in the past, but we're going to start now doing the things that we need to be doing because we're going to begin this family at this moment with Jesus. All right, and let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we consider, Lord, our Christian home, beginning of it.